Hey, everybody, Dave Hagan here. Today, we're going to talk about It's My Money. That's today on the Financial Wellness Podcast. Welcome to the Financial Wellness Podcast, Dave's weekly message to keep you on your path to the financial success. Here is your host, financial problem solver and talk show host, Dave Hagan. Hey, thanks, Nick, and welcome everybody to this week's Financial Wellness Podcast, or as we like to say, TFWP, coming to you from Van Nuys, beautiful downtown Van Nuys, just outside of Los Angeles and near Hollywood. Hey, look, it's Brian Reed. Hi, Dave. How are you? Good, you? I am doing very well. I feel very chipper today. Chip, chipper today. Chipper. And wasn't, that, wasn't that a name of people in the 50s? Chipper? Chip? Chipper Jones was a baseball player. Oh, that was ba- Atlanta. Atlanta, yeah. Oh, very good. Chipper. I don't know. Going through life with the name Chipper, that might be. You know, if you ever have a bad day, do we, uh, it's, uh, you know. Right. Can you? Wait, yeah. wait, wait for your first name is Chipper? Yeah. How'd you do today, Chipper? Strike out three times? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Hey, chip up there, Chipper. <laughs> oh, man. You know what I want to talk about today? I want to talk about this concept of it's my money. And I've been thinking about this and talking about this because I think it's kind of a great motto for uh, for this thought process. And in the last couple of weeks, I'm doing some research and I'm on the internet checking around and fleshing out this concept and this thought process. And I found out that someone else had already trademarked the phrase. Oh, I mean, that's like, man. So everybody check it out. It's, you know, I mean, I got to give them their due. It's called it's my money journal.info. You know, it's interesting. The, the, the person that put it together, her name is Petrina Dixon, and she's a speaker and a counselor and an author. And she's even got a book, Brian, called It's My Money. Oh, God. Does that sound familiar? Oh, uh, yeah. Nightmares again to that screenplay that I wrote. And then, boom, it was already it got released. It was like a movie as you were finishing the screenplay. I was finishing it up and it got released. I don't know how. I couldn't find it anywhere. You That's know, brutal, man. That was that was not a good day. All that work and time here. I've been thinking about this, working on it. Um, you know, we were even going to like put together like keychains or something that you know say it's my money on it, and it's already trademarked. So we're not going to. I guess we're not going to be doing. In fact, you know, we're even plugging it for them right now. What are we doing? Why I, are we doing you know, this? I, you know, <laughs> it is, the stuff is actually pretty good. You know, but I got to be honest, it's not the financial wellness podcast. You know, you got to allow me that. But, you know, they even sell a a wallet um, on this this website and on the wallet, it says it's my money. And so when you go to the store to buy something, it reminds you as you're pulling out the dollars, you know, it's my money. I mean, I was just thinking about a keychain or a T-shirt. I guess I'm not very creative, you know. I thought that was kind of cool. Put it on your wallet. But anyway, but I, what I want to do is talk about my version of it's my money or the mindset, actually, if you will, and 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 think about it for a minute. You know, it it's your hard-earned money. You either traded a number of hours in your life in exchange for that money or you worked your business very hard and paid the business expenses and now you got some money left over. Now now it's it's your money. And hopefully you've already paid the taxes. You know, if you make over what, 
something like $250,000, you might be paying as much as 50% between state and federal taxes. That sounds really fair, right? (laughs) Oh man, that's brutal. But that's the way it is in California. But you've paid your taxes and, and now it's your money and it's in your bank account and it belongs to you. And as long as you don't have any debt or litigation, no one can take it away from you. It's, it's your money. You can choose to spend it. You can choose to save it. Uh, you can put it to work for you. You can, you can invest it. Uh, you can give it away. You can do whatever you want because it's your money. And yet the game now becomes how other people can separate you from your money. I mean, think about it. That's the role of business, to separate you in one way or another from your money. Now, it might be by selling you something or charging you commissions or rendering services, but really, that's the purpose of a business is to separate you from your money. And so one of the key thought processes, it seems to me, is how can you keep your money? How can you keep it in your pocket? And that really is kind of the key, seems to me. And if you decide to part with some of it, are you doing it in a way that's beneficial to you? Are you doing it in a way that's thoughtful? And I think that's something to think about. You know, let's take, for example, a a car. Say you buy a brand new car for $50,000. And of course, Brian and I are automatically thinking, well, that's about that's about a Model 3, you know. <laughs> I can't help it. <laughs> but that's an awful lot of money to give up, you know. If you make 100 an hour, and a lot of people aren't bringing home 100 an hour, but that's like 500 hours of work. I mean, that's like three months of working without paying any other expenses. I don't know. Now, you're not going to borrow the money to buy the car because here at the TFWP, we encourage people not to do that. And hopefully our listeners have already thought through and understand why it's really not a good idea. But if you pay for it cash and three or four years from now, that car is going to be worth $25,000. Was it really worth five, six, seven thousand $7,000 a year in depreciation? I mean, maybe. But for the vast majority of listeners, not even close when you think about it. You know, here's another example, a smaller example. You go out for dinner and drinks for 150 bucks. You know, my my wife and I used to go out once or twice a year for what we called a hundred dollar dinner. And that was like, we were were living large. We were living (laughs) high on the hawk. A hundred dollar dinner is like Coco's or something these days. It's it's crazy. So now, now we kind of think of it as the $150 $150 dinner, but you go out and it's an hour and a half and uh, of your time if you're making $100 an hour. And I don't know, that's, that's, a, that's a long period of time to work just for a dinner. And, you know, I haven't even factored in taxes. And, you know, the next day it's gone. The dinner and drinks is gone. Your body's burned the calories and it's gone. What's left over is on its way to the, you know, the treatment plant. Is it, is it worth it? I'm, I'm not so sure. Maybe but I'm not so sure of it. You know, um, I remember a guy that I knew in, in eighth grade. Now this is an eighth grader, probably a 13, 14 year old kid. And he was telling me one time, he was very forward thinking guy. And he was telling me, you know, whenever I go to buy something before I pay for it, I think, how will I feel about this purchase in a week? 
Now he was, he was talking about, you know, a candy bar or a soda or something like that. And this was before we were really thinking about the effects of all the sugar on your body. I mean, we were, we were in eighth grade, we could burn that off, but he was really thinking about the long, long-term effects of his, his expenditures, you know, um, he wasn't really doing a wants needs analysis and he, and he probably, you know, wasn't going to save the money because I'm guessing that this is an allowance that his parents were giving him. But I thought it was a, I thought it was a good analysis. You know, I'm, I have a tendency to be a huge impulse buyer. I'm checking out at the Home Depot and I see a pair of new orange gloves for $5 and I go, well, I can afford that. Well, why not throw them in the basket? It's $5. But you know, if I think about, do I really need them? What will a pair of $5 gloves look like after they've been in the garden a couple months? I mean, maybe it's a better way for me to do some kind of a, a weed, uh, want or needs uh, analysis. But it's a different way, it seems to me, about thinking about your money. It's really about where you want to deploy your money. You know, and I talked about this uh, in a previous podcast, but this is a term borrowed from Warren Buffett. He talks about deploy, deploying money in the fund. And on a, on a micro level, we should think about how are we deploying our own money? You can use it wisely or you can blow it because really it's your money. It's my money. And maybe it's enjoyable to blow it. And who knows? Maybe that's fine. It, it's up to you. You know, what's your choice? Do you want to blow some money? You want to hang on to some money? You want to spend it wisely? Or do you want a lot of pair of orange gloves, you know, hanging around the house? You know, one more kind of side comment, and that's if, if you have debt, it's really not your money. It's money that belongs to somebody else, and that should be taken care of and, and allocated before you start thinking about the money in the bank being your money, right? But that's why we're so uh, adverse to debt here on the, the Financial Wellness Podcast. Now, down the line, when you've built up savings and the money's working for you, you can really choose to go into any store and buy almost anything you want. You know, uh, um, come to think about it, I could go into Costco and buy six shopping carts full of stuff. I mean, that'd be a lot of toilet paper, but I guess I could. I could buy almost anything that I want. I could go into Best Buy and get the biggest, baddest, largest TV that they have and have it delivered in the afternoon. I mean, you could, but you get to a point when you actually have the money, you decide that that's not the thing you choose to do. And really, when you start to think of it, when it's your money, you may choose not to make some of these purchases. You could, but you choose not to because you're thinking about how you want to allocate your money. You could, you could even write a check, but you choose not to part with your money and leave it where it is and hopefully having it in a place where it's working for you. And when you get to that point, I think it's actually extremely empowering. I mean, when I was a whole lot younger, I could hardly wait to save up some money to, you know, acquire the next thing and really don't think about that so much anymore. Uh, of course, it's, you know, a few years down the line, but um, it's a different way of thinking about it. And I think that we need to be vigilant, maybe even militant sometimes about this concept. Someone's trying to sell us some stuff or someone's trying to, you know, separate us from our money and 
And we should be hearing this in our heads, screaming, it's my money, get back, I'm not letting you take it. But it's a thought process. And I'm not saying we should be misers and live on water and crackers, that's not living. Remember a few weeks ago, I talked about the story at the Berkshire Hathaway shareholders meeting and the, the, the kid got up and, and asked Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger about, you know, delayed gratification and how to teach that and how to embrace that. And, uh, you know, the, the two of them looked at each other and said, basically, no, I'd go for it. I'd go for it. And, you know, Warren Buffett comes back and says, but maybe not two weeks in Disney World, maybe four days. But the point is, this isn't about complete delayed gratification. It's not about living on water and crackers. No, no. We still want to enjoy life. We want to do the kind of things that we want to do. But we want to do it as in a thoughtful and meaningful and, and purposeful way. We want to think about that money that we've built up in our accounts as our money. What I'm saying is this should be part of a mindset, part of a thought process, uh, to cause us to constantly maximize the utility and enjoyment um, of our money. We need to remember that it's our money and that people in business are constantly going to be trying to separate us from it. That's not bad. That's just their objective. We have to be smarter and more thoughtful about it and hopefully carry around in the back of our mind, hey, it's my money. So what are our takeaways this week? Well, I, I don't know. I think one, it's, it's my money as a mindset. Um, it's nothing new, apparently, because someone's already trademarked the, the phrase. Um, two, businesses are going to try and separate us from our money, and it's up to us to be smarter and more thoughtful about it. And three, we should be completely mindful and thoughtful about how we deploy our capital. Just something to think about. And that's a wrap. This is Dave Hagen, and you're listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast. You've been listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast, Dave's weekly message to keep you on your path to financial success. If you have a question that you would like Dave to answer on the podcast, go to thefinancialwellnesspodcast.com. You can leave an audio message with one click of a button or type your message into the question box. Either way, it's sent right to Dave's phone. As an additional bonus, each month, Dave will randomly draw from the submitted questions and pick the winner of a free one-hour personal conversation with Dave to help you achieve your financial goals. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you receive the new episode notifications. Let's listen in now as Dave answers some emails. All right. Brian showed me this email just a little while ago, and um, I think it's pretty interesting. Go ahead. Read <laughs> it for us, Brian. Okay. Uh, this is from Anna, and she writes, I hear people use the term trust fund baby. What is that exactly? And if it's what I think it is, how do I become one? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, a trust fund baby, hmm. the dictionary defines it as a person, typically a young adult, who's independently wealthy and doesn't need to work for a living. Well, I mean, if you can get a gig like that, that sounds pretty good, right? Amen. How do I do that? Yeah, I'll take five of those off the shelf, you know? I mean, it goes like this. Typically, a parent puts a large sum of money into a trust fund to be administered and invested by a third party, like an uncle or many times a bank. Uh, the beneficiary of the trust is the 
child. Now, the trustee who operates this thing day to day typically has the discretion to distribute money, usually income off the funds, until the beneficiary reaches a certain age. And then at that certain age, maybe the beneficiary will get the interest uh, uh, on a mandatory basis. In other words, they're entitled to the full amount. Maybe sometimes they can even dip into the principal. Or sometimes, if the parents don't think that they'd be responsible with money, they just get uh, discretionary interest distributions. Who knows? It can be done almost any way possible. And if the trust is done correctly, creditors of the beneficiary can't even reach into the fund to get money. So it's a pretty guaranteed way of taking care of kids on a a long-term basis. And that sounds really good. But the stereotype of a trust fund baby is that they're typically spoiled uh, adult or young adult children. And and the cliche is someone with a trust fund is a person who's self-entitled and and lazy. Sound familiar? Know anyone like that? Only what I really see on, you know, TV. Yeah, I mean, you hear about them where there's their characters in a storyline of, you know, a trust fund baby gets murdered or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people without something to do usually find a way to get into trouble or something. Not always, <laughs> but I mean, you know, sometimes. But we see a lot of this in the, the, the media, it seems to me. But even though we hear about it a lot in the media, there really actually aren't a lot of trust fund babies in the United States. Uh, One study done by the Survey of Consumer Finances reported that less than 2% of all Americans had inherited money through a trust as of 2010. But I guess it's, it's the, you know, the, the anomaly that kind of sticks out. It's the, the anomaly that we always hear about uh, through the the media. Let's take an example. If a married couple has two kids, say, and they have some money, they can put $11.4 million under current tax law into an account um, for each child. And they each can put in $11.4 million if it's community property money. So that if they do this at a child's birth and the trustee gets a 7% rate of return, which is, you know, not incredibly difficult to do. Well, that money is going to compound and and there's going to be $50 million in the bank when that child turns age 20. Guess they won't need a student loan, huh? <laughs> no student loans with that. No. Could you imagine that? 20 years old, $50 million in the bank because your parents had some money, um, you know, when you were when you were born. So this means that if they're going to get the interest every year, maybe they haven't been pulling money out and certainly there's taxable issues, but um, it, all things being equal, this means that they'll have three, three and a half million dollars before tax each year to live on for the rest of their lives. And, and wow, that sounds, that sounds pretty good to me. How do I get one of those? Anna, how do you get one of those? I'm I don't know. And again, if a, if a trust fund's put together correctly, creditors can't even get into the trust to, to satisfy judgments. I mean, that's a nice gig, huh? Well done, mom and dad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how would you spend three and a half million pre-tax every year? I think you'd have to be pretty thoughtful and, and deliberate about that. You spend a lot of your, your time thinking about how to spend that money, you know? And again, I'm, I'm being overly simplistic. We're, we're not talking about tax consequences and other things, but I'm being simplistic to explain the, the concept. And I want to paint in broad strokes here so people understand, you know, what a, what a trust fund baby 
um, might be. And, you know, in addition, by the way, to the 11.4 million per person per year that the parents can give away, um, they can also give away 15,000 per person per year, um, every year. So uh, a married couple could, you know, give away $30,000 to the kids each year, in addition to the original amounts that, that we talked about. Now this is under current tax law, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, it, underlines the concept that, you know, these, these trust funds can be pretty powerful things, especially when they start to compound. And, um, you know, the stereotype of trust fund babies, the stereotype is one of the reasons that we have estate taxes, federal estate tax. You know, and the thought is, why should we let people create rich ninnies when the money could be more wisely spent by the government? Or so they say. Uh, on the other hand, People believe that uh, they shouldn't have to pay taxes a second time on money that they've already earned and been taxed on. And, you know, that, that carries a lot of weight and seems pretty persuasive and um, an important thing to consider, too. Um, and the fact that, you know, the government tends to maybe not spend money quite as um, carefully as maybe private individuals. Well, I mean, it all depends upon your, your, your point of view. But this is, this is the thought behind, you know, a, uh, you know, a trust fund. I remember years ago, um, I was on a ski lift and, uh, it was a three person ski lift. So it was my wife and myself and this fellow that just jumped on as a single. And we were talking about life and, uh, you know, the guy says, well, you know, how many days have you skied this winter? And we went, uh, this is our second day. And he goes, oh, this is my 55th day skiing this winter. And I'm going, wow, what do you do for a living that, uh, uh that you can ski 55 days? Cause I want to do what you do. And he goes, well, you know, I have a trust fund. And he said, I just basically take the money and ski. And, uh, you know, they say, hey, the, the first generation earns it and the second generation spends it. And I thought, well, that's that's a really cool thing to do. But I don't know if you're contributing to the bottom line if, you know, all you're thinking about is spending the money in the trust fund and, you know, maybe skiing 50, 55 days a year. I don't know. Maybe I was just jealous. <laughs> <laughs> There's a little part of me that's jealous of him, I'll be honest. I know, really, right? So how do you get to be a, you know, a, a trust fund baby? Well, well, you can't. You got to be like born into it um, or you got to do something really nice to someone that's rich and get them to adopt you. You know, um, you got to you just kind of fall into it. it. It just it just happens. So sorry, Anna, there's nothing that you can do other than just being nice to people with money. And maybe maybe they would adopt you at some point. You know, I'm speaking of trust fund babies. I really love what our old friend Warren Buffett said. Oh, this should be good. And what he did. You know, you got to love it. Mr. Practical. He said that you should give your children enough to do anything, but not enough to do nothing. And I like that. I like that idea. In fact, according to Business Insider, he gave his son Peter Buffett one billion dollars. One billion dollars for nonprofit work and 90,000 in stock for personal use when he turned 19. I love that, right? This forced his son to become a thoughtful value investor and it, it also caused his son to think very critically, I would hope, about the careful use of the money and how a billion dollars might be used in some way to benefit society. You know, um, my wife and I had even talked about uh, setting aside some money for the, the kids as a present to Christmas present or something like that to um, contribute to a, a, a charity. 
and have them figure out what's important and where they think that money might be well spent. And I, I think that that would be a really interesting exercise for a kid. And they they probably wouldn't appreciate it. They'd rather have a big box of Lego. But I think in the long run, it might be something to get them really to think about the power of money and how they could use that to, to benefit society. But uh, that's a discussion for another day. Uh, you but for today, I mean, I think the point is, man, you got to love Warren Buffett. He you th- got to love Warren. He just thinks about things so clearly. And, um, you know, I tell you, uh, a fantasy of mine would be to be able to interview him on the show and have him just come talk. He'd be such an easy interview just because he's such a practical guy. But how fun would that be, right? That would be amazing. Yeah. No, I would. I would really like that. Warren, if you're listening, because we know you do. (laughs) (laughs) Looking for a little financial advice, right? Come be on the show. Yeah, Dave and Brian sitting in a show in Van Nuys. Hey, come be on the show. You know what? I think that's going to be a wrap. There was some interesting stuff this week. So, hey, stay tuned. Uh, We're heading into the end of the the first part of the year, and I want to spend some time next week talking about that. So come back and listen to that. This is Dave Hagen, and you have been listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast. You've been listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast, Dave's weekly message to keep you on your path to financial success. If you have a question that you would like Dave to answer on the podcast, go to thefinancialwellnesspodcast.com. You can leave an audio message with one click of a button or type your message into the question box. Either way, it's sent right to Dave's phone. Remember, Dave will randomly draw from the submitted questions and pick the winner of a free one-hour personal conversation with Dave to help you achieve your financial goals. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you receive the new episode notifications or share the podcast via the app with your family and friends. This is your announcer, Nick Appel, wishing you every financial success.